We acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I think we realised early on that each individual little thing isn't probably going to make us a living. But if you can take lots of little things and put them in together, we'll have a really good business model here. And we're not putting all our eggs in the one basket. This is the Big Shift for Small Farms podcast. G'day listeners, I'm your host, Edgar's Grester. We all know the dangers of having all your eggs in one basket. But what if your business is selling eggs? How do you diversify your enterprise? Well, the good news is there are plenty of creative ways to stack enterprises. And in this episode, we'll learn about the benefits of diversifying your species mix to selling the experience of farming for customers with farm stay accommodation and pick your own produce. And it all starts with thinking outside the egg carton. I'm Mark Gardner. I'm a farm management consultant and we run Vanguard Business Services here in Dubbo in central west New South Wales. We work with with regen farmers of different scale from smaller farms right to some very large farms. Most of them are livestock based, although a number of our clients do have a little bit of cropping. A lot of them are now starting over time have developed some value added enterprises as well and new enterprises so look it's a constantly changing field and domain. How would you describe enterprise stacking for someone who hasn't really thought about that ever you know they've only just done one particular thing on their farm property? The way I tend to look at is enterprise stacking works when you can add another enterprise and it adds value to the whole operation and in my mind value is is progression towards someone's holistic goal uh, whether it be adding ecological value or well-being or satisfaction, or it might be uh, a profitability goal too, or, or any combination. So I think the important thing is when we're looking at adding enterprises that they actually contribute in some way. And we're very clear about that because it's very easy to stack or add enterprises, but actually just create more workload um, and actually in some way diminish what I'll call overall value or progression towards our holistic contact because we get too busy. Uh, and sometimes we can get enterprise inefficiencies too, um, so that an enterprise actually detracts from other enterprises. So my first point is we need to be really clear that by adding an additional enterprise, it actually creates value to the overall operation. When we add enterprises, we can add horizontal enterprises. That is, it might be a totally new enterprise or we can actually stack vertically, which might be a value add to an existing enterprise. And that might be direct marketing some produce, or it might be adding further value by something like a farm tour. That is, we're just adding extra value to what we're doing rather than adding new things. So, you know, I think there's some real subtleties in here. And a lot of my work as a farm consultant is that folks come in with great ideas and they will explain what they want to do and how they're going to do it. And the key question I ask them is, well, why do you want to do it? And I think that's a really important thing because, you know, permaculture and regen ag and organics and biodynamics, it's so exciting. There are so many new things that we can do. But we've got to be clear about why we're doing it. I get that when we, when we have that why 
clarity, then all the other things can follow and flow much easier. Yeah, they sure can. For folks that are, are new to this sort of way of producing, I think it is really exciting. And boy, you know, there's so many different ways of doing things. There's some incredibly creative people out there at the moment doing wonderful things with their enterprises, you know, vertically and horizontally and creating new enterprises. And you think, oh, that's so cool. But <laughs> we have to be very mindful that we're trying to create and shape a business that creates the future that our family wants. And our decision making and our goal is what should things should fit around um, so that we just don't run around doing things for the sake of it. Part of the role that I have is just making sure that the holistic goal and our decision-making is at forefront of what we do and how we do it. Because I think when we do that and we have that good uh, decision-making framework, there's a greater chance of success in, in the business. And, and in my mind, success is not just financial success. It's, it's the family well-being uh, and the way of life is what people want. And also the ecology is changing in the way that we want it to, short and long term. And, you know, I've seen a lot of families go through a lot of crisis and a lot of good times over that period, droughts and floods and fires. And, you know, it, having that framework keeps them on a regular footing through those tough periods. You know, that's part of my work is to help facilitate that. And the simple question of why you're doing things is such an easy, but it's such a powerful question. Geographically, we're on 100 acres out here. It's very small. It's a postage stamp. I mean, the average size of farm out here is probably about 2,500 acres. That's Luke Winder from Tathra Place Free Range, a farm based near Toralga in New South Wales. We are very small geographically, but let me assure you, we're punching well above our weight as far as the protein that we do produce. The key to that is obviously multi-species stacking, but what is my long-term goal, to be honest? Healing the land, but I've kind of ticked that now. I want to produce the most disgusting amount of protein on 100 acres so that every single person has to look at what I'm doing and say, well, hang on a minute, there's something in this. We've got this bonehead who five years ago was an electrician in Sydney, has never stepped foot on a farm. If he can come out here with the amount of money I had behind me and make a go of it and turn out, you know, 4.2, 4.5, 6, 7, 8 tonnes of protein a week off 100 acres, there's got to be something in this regen thing, right? Before becoming a farmer, Luke was a licensed electrician living and working in Sydney and he first came across regenerative agriculture when he saw a video on YouTube about American holistic farmer and educator, Joel Salatin. There's a bit of a joke in my family. My brother's a Christian pastor, so he found God, and I found Joel Salatin. So say what you want about that, but I think I've come out better off, to be honest. At the time, Luke had a young family of his own and was caring for his ill father. After Dad passed away, Luke and his wife Pia decided to make a tree change and move to the country to grow their own produce. I think I knew from watching the amount of stuff I'd seen of his that realistically to make a go on 100 acres and to generate white collar salaries, which is what we're all sort of looking for, I knew I was going to have to run you know, more than just cattle. It's 100 acres. You need to be a little bit more intensive than that. I'm super proud of what we've built out here and the enterprises that we have been able to stack on top of each other. So first and foremost is, is me and my businesses. 
So I obviously produce free-range duck, a PK and Aylesbury beautiful free-range duck. We raise everything completely chemical, pharmaceutical-free on pasture. And, and real pasture, you know, we're talking about if my cows aren't standing on 24 inches of pasture, they're having a pal- palpitation sum. So we also run cattle. We do eggs. We do both chicken and duck eggs. We run chickens. We've got a, a really exciting venture coming up with our chooks. Um, we've got bees. And they're, they're just the animals. That's not enterprise stacking. That's that's protein stacking. And if you, if you haven't seen the benefits of having different species of animals running over the same plot of land, please look into that. But I guess on top of that, where the enterprise comes in is... I've got a really, really strong food service business, so direct to restaurants. I do use a wholesaler. I think wholesalers, uh, you're going to get to the point in your business when you start scaling where you need to start taking hats off and direct selling is amazing and I still do a lot of it, but employing the services of a company like I use Game Farm Australia well they are producers and they are wonderful people and they have taken my business to a different level so within the food service business we do use Game Farm Australia we still do deal direct with some restaurants and some butchers but um, Game Farm Australia has been a huge step in the right direction for us we have a retail arm we have stuff go through Feather and Bone Granite Feather and Bone retails a lot of our stuff and I also still do a farmer's market. My accountant and my close friends have been at me for a very long time to stop doing the farmer's market. I've got very personal reasons why I don't want to walk away from those customers because essentially they built my business from scratch. But I can tell you what, when Corona hit, the only thing that kept this little business going was that market store, right? Because as we all know, food service shut down as the restaurants did. But retail really did kick on when when Corona and there was a little bit of panic buying there at the beginning. And I was on the right end of that because of my market store and because I still had a really loyal customer base that was still coming week in, week out to see me. Um, We have accommodation. We've had a, a tiny house on site that we had for quite a while, which was really just proof of concept for me. I didn't own it. I leased the block to a company and... Uh, we, we used to value add on that by selling people protein packages and, and breakfast packs and tours and, you know, experiences. And, and that, that was another little enterprise, which is fantastic. We're actually building a treehouse for accommodation now to sort of, you know, continue that industry. We know it's successful. I mean, there's nobody that comes out and stays on your farm and has the experience and doesn't then source your produce and purchase it and become a customer. So that works fantastically well. For Luke. The farm stay experience connects guests to his primary food production enterprises. But for some farmers, like Kirsty and Andrew Hambrook from Terrawa Farm in the Kangaroo Valley, a farm stay can actually be the main income generator. In Sydney, Andrew and I were hoteliers, so we've um, spent all of our married life in hotels, motels, service departments, and we had a, a business in Sydney running a, a Quest service department. So um, it was always intended that when we were going to move out into the country and buy a block of land that that it would be accommodation, that we would have something uh, for tourists. So that was always, I suppose, what we figured would be the revenue raiser. It took six years to get that to happen, but it's finally here now. And I've always loved gardening, so we always knew that we would have a veggie garden and an orchard we figured that chickens were a pretty easy match for those two enterprises. So they were the f- things we started with.
So we're stepping into the showpiece of your world and what you do. Yeah, well, um, this is my domain now. So the garden's Kirsty's domain. So, um, yeah, this is, this is my little piece of joy in the world. So you've just had guests stay last night. You were saying, you know, this week's a bit of a, a cleaning week. Yes, we are cleaning, but it's part of that bigger picture of having multiple streams of income, I suppose. Yeah, I'm absolutely very happy to be cleaning because this is our sole income, really. The farm kind of breaks even as long as we don't spend too much money on repairs or fencing but this is our this is our bread and butter this is our wages so yeah I'm quite happy to be it's a lot easier than than market gardening so <laughs> it's quite it's quite okay in this climate controlled environment here so yeah we're very happy to have this here and and not only are we providing something we're really proud of but we're just planting the seed of change within every single guest that comes to show them you know what another option might be whether it's realistically going to happen in their life or whether they just maybe seek out local produce where they are or whether they, you know, just make some slightly different purchasing decisions when they go back home or, or whether they're interested in our sewage system that's run by, by worm composting or our solar system that runs all of our power and just different different habits, slightly changing the way that, that they might sort of think about things going forward. So, yeah but it's, yeah, it's nice to have an income. <laughs> and what's the feedback you're getting, Andrew, from, from guests about the sort of the whole experience? The one thing that's really resonating with me is like I, we've got a booking coming up and the notes of the booking asked if there would be stars out in November. And I'm like, these people, they've got children and they've never seen the stars. They live in an apartment in Sydney and have never seen the stars. And they were asking if the stars would be out in November. And it just blows my mind, you know, and... You know, when you sit up at our fire pit and you look up in the sky and you can see the Milky Way and you can see the satellites going past and it's just, people just aren't getting that experience. It just, yeah, it makes, makes, makes me happy that we live in this environment and, you know, also sad that people just don't realise what's out there. But you're sort of creating that opportunity for people as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. We take it for granted living here, you know. We, take, we see this view every day and having the space... Some of the people that stay, they don't have that and just it's mind-blowing for them and just, yeah, blows, blows me away. Beautiful. I think we realised early on that each individual little thing isn't probably going to make us a living, but if you can take lots of little things and put them in together, we'll have a really good business model here and, and we're not, you know, putting all our eggs in the one basket. So, you know, if we have a terrible season, then... In the garden, you know, we run out of water during a drought. Well, at least we've got the accommodation to kick in. If the accommodation, you know, gets shut down because of, you know, like COVID, like it did, well, then we've got the garden to fall back on. Yeah, we found actually in the in the heat of lockdown when nobody was wanting to go out to the supermarket, we went from doing 30 boxes to 75 boxes a week instantly. And luckily, because we had so many other growers and producers on hand, we were able to satisfy that need. So I think having the sort of everyone ready in the wings to just get going and we had the delivery vehicle and it was just all systems go. So that was lucky that we were able to just respond to that need at the time that it arose. But 
we always had the three tiers to our to our business. One was going to be the accommodation, one was going to be the production of, of food on the property, but the third one was a learning space. Cooking classes, fermenting classes, but also running things like holistic management. We had a holistic management course here last year that we hosted on this property, but we'll have a purpose-built place where we can run permaculture design certificates, not necessarily us run them, but we can host them and, um, you know, nutrition farming, organics, regenerative agriculture, which is my big passion, in order to teach not only those in our local area, but to have a place that people can come as a, a bit of a hub for learning. It's one thing to just do something for your own benefit, but for me, I'm always thinking about how can that benefit my community or the broader population. Even though you know the food is important and the accommodation is, is financially very important, for me the learning and community building is probably the most important one. More exciting than what I'm doing, I feel, is that Joel Salatin talks about stacking fiefdoms and getting other people involved. And that's something that I don't think is happening in Australia enough. It might seem insignificant, 100 acres, but there's still plenty of room out here and we've taken on, uh, he actually was a chef, his name's Brian Murray, and he started a, a company where he's home delivering fresh horticulture just into Sydney. And he still works for me a couple of days a week, grows some of his own stuff out here, but it's advantaging me in that he sells my stuff online direct, which is amazing and I don't have to do anything. And then Belinda's out here doing a market garden. So if there's a chink in my armor is I don't have a lot of passion for horticulture and I can admit that. I do still appreciate how important it is to the ecosystem I'm trying to generate out here. So I've got someone else involved who has got that passion and she's overflowing with passion. So her business then helps Brian out because it gives him stuff to sell. So it's the relationship there is phenomenal. They're both levering on my brand and the, the relationships I've already got in the industry. They have to maintain the, the whole chemical three free range ethically grown ethos that we've developed here, but they slide into that perfectly and we all complement each other. We're lucky out here that we do have two homesteads. So they live in one house and, and we live in a separate place. So we've all got our own room and our own space. And, you know, we share labor, we share knowledge, we share equipment. And it's just, it's phenomenal. It's working really, really well. What's your advice for someone who's perhaps got some land, maybe they're doing some veggies or maybe they've got some cattle. What's your advice, whether it be protein stacking or, or enterprise stacking? And the concern people might have with, oh man, it's gonna take too much energy or effort or challenge to, to stack things. I mean, that's a simple answer. I mean, having two people on a farm doesn't double the productivity, it triples it, right? Having another set of hands, having another person's ideas and way of thinking that might be slightly different to yours. I'm not I'm not an old farmer, I don't think. But having the enthusiasm of a 20-something-year-old, having their energy, it just rubs off. I mean, I've had a new guy start out here. We use the 88-day visa program, and it's just a shot in the arm. I mean, he's just... He wants to learn. He wants to know what you're doing. He's buzzing you around like a puppy dog, you know, bouncing around. And the energy is amazing. But the benefits to, you know, stop me if I'm boring you here, but, you know, rebuilding topsoil, um, rebuild, you know, increasing carbon in the soil, sequestering carbon, pasture production, increasing the amount of animals or the amount of people, I think is going to be a huge benefit. Look, let's be honest, a lot of people go into farming because they don't like people. They like tractors 
and they like cows. So there's a hurdle there, but I mean, you know, there's plenty of ways to work that. They don't have to be sitting in your pocket all day, you know. If you get it right and they're literally running a completely separate enterprise on your land, you might be surprised how little you do to see them. Uh, and then you're still going to get those benefits. And then that one day a week where you need an extra set of hands, they'll help you out. Like it's, to me, it's a no-brainer. Um, getting younger people, or not even younger, that's a bit, a little bit ageist, getting other people involved in primary production where they wouldn't have gotten the opportunity otherwise. It's hard in this country generationally if you're not getting your land for free. Uh, it's a very, very expensive thing to get into. So if you get the opportunity to lease someone an acre, you know, do it. So for Luke, when it comes to stacking enterprises, you don't have to do it on your own. Strength in numbers and diversity are the keys to success. Whether you're relatively new to farming or a hundred-year-old multi-generational farm, Canoe Land's Orchard is an hour's drive north of Sydney's CBD and is the last one left in the area. For them, diversifying wasn't about success, it was about survival. So my name's Jamie Christie. I married into the Christie family about 20 years ago and they have been growing stone fruit on the outskirts of Sydney in Canoelands at Canoelands Orchard for nearly 100 years. So the farm was started in 1923 and we are now third generation farmers. Sending into market these days is not really a way to make a living. Unfortunately, with the big chain stores, they have so many demands and they can drive down the prices so low. So what we did was open up to the public for pick your own fruit. And when we did that, we ended up having to listen to what the customers wanted. And with all the fruit that we grow, it was all about what people ask us for. So we've now got pomegranate planted, we've got apples planted, we've got fajoas, blueberries, strawberries, lemons, limes, mandarins, oranges, plums. We, we, we've got everything, <laughs> just about everything. So, and all of that was simply from customers requesting it. So I just, from listening to people, gathered the things that people asked for the most. How's that sort of playing out now? It's amazing. We've got people coming in. We started doing tomatoes through winter just to tie people over until we started picking again. Now there's a huge demand for the tomatoes. We have a lot of regular customers that come in just specifically for those. Um, but by growing all the other stuff, which is still young at the moment, so we've just started our first ever strawberry harvest. I don't have enough fruit available for the amount of people that want to come and pick it. So it's been really, really good for us to, uh, we've had to learn a lot about growing other things that we haven't grown before, but it's been really rewarding. People love it. They just want to get out of the city. We're only an hour from Sydney CBD. So people just want to get out and pick and get onto the farm. And we try to make it a bit more of an experience than just picking fruit. So when you come here, we've got animals. We do tractor rides usually. They're cancelled at the moment due to COVID. We do do a lot of other things. We offer a picnic area. We have a small cafe on site. We have all our honeys and jams and everything. And that within itself makes it a whole day's experience for people rather than just get in the car and come and buy some fruit from the shop. They actually get to go out and pick it. A lot of people love the education it provides for the children to see where their fruit's coming from. And we've just taken it on and really enjoyed the experience. 
if we break it down a little bit, as producers, we're often thinking with our growing hat and, and what we can produce. And, and I'm hearing from you the diversity of produce is really about having something all year round. That also sort of couples into the other stacked aspects of your business, which is the experience. Talk to me a little bit about the evolution of that. When we started Pick Your Own, it was a discussion that we'd had a few times about, you know, farm gate sales. And then we went to see a couple of our friends that farm down in Picton, who gave us a lot of advice on how the whole pick your own thing worked. We had no idea at that point how much demand there was for it. So the first year that we opened up, we were steady, steady and kind of a little bit surprised at how popular it was. From there, it just evolved through people asking for different things, whatever people asked for, we tried to provide. So we got a whole lot of rescue animals, built the paddocks. People were asking if there were animals to see. And then with the bees and the honey, people were asking if we offer any education, which we now do a lot of bee and honey tours, especially for school students. So we do a lot of excursions, a lot of ocean vacation cares. We've now got a little classroom on site that we can teach them all about all of that. And then the cafe evolved from it. So it's all really just been what people have asked for and especially with the fruit. So whatever fruit that we can grow here that people are asking for, we're doing our best to try to make available to them. I'm interested in in hearing about, you know, how do you look at fruit and vegetables and all the things that you grow now, do you sort of think differently about the farm and, and what you're producing and how you're using that space? Definitely. And now our focus is not on what we're going to send to market. The excess goes to market, but our focus is in, on what the customers want. So we used to do, you know, a block of 2000 nectarines of the same variety, where now we'd be more inclined to do a block of 200 and then have a block of a different variety, maybe one that picks at the same time side by side so that people have got, you know, the option to maybe pick a white nectarine and a yellow nectarine on the same day or a plum or, and a peach on the same day. So people like the variety. They love that if they can come out here, they can pick two or three different things. So that's more what we would look at now, a smaller block of everything, but have more variety available for people to be able to pick. So yeah, definitely it's changed our way of thinking and our way of farming. What do you say to people who are thinking, that sounds a bit too complex and difficult. What do you say to them in terms of the benefits you've seen out of this experience? Everything's seasonal. So when we're really focusing on one product at a time or one form of produce at a time. So right now, yes, the strawberries are harvesting, but we're fruit thinning with the stone fruit. You know, the citrus time of the year is during winter. So we focus on that just before it starts and we're getting it all prepared. So each thing happens at a different time of the year and we have worked that into our schedule. So we have really thought about what we're going to plant and whether we have time to maintain it and harvest it at that time. So we've kind of thought it through and our aim, I guess, is to have something available for people to pick most of the year round. So everything's not happening at once. And the stone fruit that we did have by planting other produce on the farm, we've reduced the amount of stone fruit that we have to maintain. So we've reduced the workload that comes with those also. So yeah, it balances out. Sometimes we learn the most from the challenges that we've faced. And I was wondering, 
do you have any experiences that come to mind that you know where you've had some really big lessons that you've learned through this process everything's rolled very smoothly so far i think the hardest thing is probably trying to tell people what's available at what time other than that uh, we had to learn about how to make things work so for the first year obviously we didn't have bags to provide to people and you couldn't really tell who'd paid their entry and who hadn't so we had to put systems in place we now give people a bag on arrival so we know if they're out in the orchard with one of our bags they've definitely already been to the shop and then when they leave they'll come into the shop and pay for their fruit and we put a wristband on their bag so when they're going to their car to put their bag in the car we can see that they've been back to the shop and purchased their fruit so we've also learned that we need to have a lot of staff around just on the farm to help and supervise and give directions and things like that so yeah, so we get a good little crew of staff to give us a hand through the season. Is there anything about a personality? Is there some sort of characteristic that people need to sort of tap into? Or were you guys just born that way to be kind of, you know, looking for new opportunities? Or, or was there a, a bit of a leap of faith in it and stepping out of your comfort zone required? Absolutely. For me, stepping out of my comfort zone, I've taken on a lot of new challenges with what we do here. Customer relations like emails and text messages and messaging and and all of that, I've had to learn a lot. You know, it, it can be sometimes very challenging. And my father-in-law's never done anything like this. And my husband, they've never had people on the property. He used to say Sunday's rest day and no one's allowed in. <laughs> and now it's our busiest day of the week usually. So certainly had to change our mindset and we've had to just roll with it and be positive. There's been a lot of challenges. There's been a lot of times where you know, we've just thought, oh, can we do this? But we just kept positive and kept pushing ourselves. And as a team, we boost each other up and we support each other. Something goes wrong, we've got each other's back. And I think that's the most important thing is the relationship between the family and the way that we work together is definitely our strong point. What's the sort of simple things that people could start out with just to sort of step into this and test the opportunity? Yeah, I mean, if you're not interested in offering pick your own, which I understand a lot of farmers are worried about the damage and the waste and, and all of that, which is always an issue, um, but you could offer maybe farm tours where you just take people for a walk around the farm and just talk to them about what you do there. You know, we get lots of bookings for that. People just want to, they're interested in learning a little bit about what you do and just spending a day wandering around and enjoying the farm atmosphere. So you could start maybe with something very basic like that, you know, even school excursions where they just come out and see how the produce runs through the machine to be packed to go to market and and have a wander around and learn a little bit about growing. We have lots of families come back who say, my son came here on an excursion and told us we had to come back. <laughs> we love seeing return customers, I can tell you. That's, that's gives you the feeling that you're doing something well, if your customers are coming back over and over again, you know you're doing something right. What's your advice to someone going, oh yeah, I really should try something a little bit different or expand what I'm doing or, you know, what's your advice? Do it, it's 100% worth your while, but you just need to take the time to listen to what your customers are asking for. That's probably the most important thing. Just try to provide what the customers want. But definitely do it, don't hold back. 
This podcast has been produced by The Grow Love Project on behalf of Greater Sydney Local Land Services. The episode was mixed and edited by me, Edgar Grester, and the executive producer was Susanna Cable. Thanks to everyone who participated in the making of this episode. You can find out more about them in the show notes. And to listen to other episodes, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you know someone who could benefit, please share it with them. Thanks for listening. Thank you.